I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, Gaza hospitals in crisis. As Israeli troops close in, there are reports that the territory's medical facilities are on the brink of collapse. Meanwhile, in D.C., a show of support as tens of thousands of people march for Israel, seeking justice. Why wrongly accused pro-life activist Mark Hauk is suing the FBI. Free speech victory. In a unanimous decision, a Helsinki court dismisses all hate speech charges against a Finnish lawmaker. Pivi Rasanen tells us why her Christian beliefs were put on trial. And patron of peace. Archbishop Paul Gallagher is honored for his tireless search for global unity. EWTN's Vatican correspondent Colin Flynn has the latest. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. Lawrence O'Toole. Our top story tonight, hang in there, we're coming. That's what President Joe Biden said to a reporter this morning when asked what his message was to the families of those being held hostage by Hamas. Meanwhile, just down the street from the White House, tens of thousands of people gathered to show their support for Israel. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Here on the National Mall, thousands of pro-Israel demonstrators took part in what was billed as a March for Israel, a march to free the hostages, and a march against anti-Semitism. The Israeli military releasing this video, saying it shows their forces advancing on the ground in the Gaza Strip. And as Israel's battle to destroy Hamas continues... In Washington, D.C., supporters of Israel made their message clear. I'm here to show support for Israel and for its right to exist and prosper. I'm here because I love Israel. My family lives in Israel. I've been to Israel. I know what Israel's about, and I'm here to show support, and not just to Israel, but to all the Jews out there. Earlier, after giving a climate speech, President Joe Biden was asked to directly address the hundreds of hostages abducted by Hamas. Yes, I can. I've been talking with the people involved every single day. I believe it's going to happen, but I don't want to get into detail. What's your message for the families? Hang in there. We're coming. And when it comes to anti-Semitic and Islamophobic incidents on school and college campuses, President Biden announced a new push to, quote, help protect students, engage school and university leaders, and foster safe and supportive learning environments. The Justice Department already promised $38 million in grants to support the investigation and prosecution of hate crimes, increase hate crimes reporting, expand victim services, and improve community awareness. The White House also confirmed that a member of the National Security Council is traveling to Europe and the Middle East. Brett McGurk is trying to put pressure on Hamas, get them to release the hostages, and expand humanitarian assistance to Gaza. The National Security Council says among the hostages being held are a number of Americans, including a three-year-old toddler. Meanwhile, President Biden is off to California. He'll meet with China's President, President Xi, tomorrow. This as President Biden tries to keep the Mideast War between Israel and Hamas from expanding into a regional conflict. On the National Mall, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. 
Well, the Israeli military has ordered the people of northern Gaza to evacuate to the south amid an escalation in fighting. Much of the combat is now taking place near hospitals. An IDF airstrike hit a residential area near a hospital in central Gaza, killing several people and wounding others. Another missile strike hit a northern refugee camp, wiping out dozens of houses and killing at least 35, with many others trapped underneath the rubble. This as a situation is worsening in Khan Yunus, with displaced people living in tents and lacking basic supplies. The Israeli military says that it has struck numerous terror targets and Hamas no longer has control of northern Gaza. I want to bring in now Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's spokesperson, Tal Heinrich. Tal, great to see you again. Uh, Israel's defense minister has said uh, that Hamas has lost control of northern Gaza and Israel has made significant gains in Gaza City. Tell us, what does that mean? That is true. Well, Hamas has lost control, no longer in control of the northern part of the Gaza Strip. It doesn't mean that there are zero terrorists there and that we discovered every tunnel, tunnel shaft and every ammunition depot and so on. But it does mean that they're starting to withdraw from some of these places and uh, that their commanders, uh, many of them, in fact, are eliminated. We killed thousands of terrorists. We discovered hundreds of tunnels. We uh, neutralized them and we continue to make advancements. Uh, in the last uh, week and over the last days, we have encircled Gaza City. And in recent days, we have made uh, uh, raids inside uh, the, the city in, in tactical uh, places where we know and where we have intelligence that uh, Hamas terrorists are hiding. And uh, we will get to each and every one of them, the perpetrators of the October 7th massacre and uh, their infrastructure. Uh, Palestinian authorities are calling for a ceasefire in order to evacuate uh, three dozen newborns and other patients that are trapped inside of the Al Shifa hospital. What more can you tell us about this, Tal? And do you know what's being done to get these people out? So there are many efforts uh, on our behalf, and we have talked to the hospital's management. In fact, that is a Hamas-appointed management, we should say. And underneath the Shifa Hospital, which is the largest one in Gaza, just to give the viewers some background here, we said, and not only us, also uh, the, the administration in the, the White House and other European intelligence agencies, we know for a fact that the Hamas command center is hiding in the basement of that hospital, which makes things very, very complicated. Obviously, Israel is trying to do everything possible. We go to great extent to ease the civilian suffering in Gaza and to minimize civilian casualties. That is also uh, including the most vulnerable populations there, of course, uh, pre premature babies and in maternity wards, and we don't want to see them suffering. Hamas are the ones who want to see dead babies. They want to sacrifice the Palestinian civilian population uh, for the greater goal of obliterating the Jewish state. Uh, what we are trying to do, first, we try to deliver fuel to that hospital, 300 liters of fuel. Our soldiers are risking their lives trying to uh, help people and babies in that hospital. But Hamas prevented the hospital management from receiving that fuel. We also removed incubators from Israeli hospitals Tracy, these are Israeli hospitals that are being uh, fired upon with rockets from Gaza, uh, fired from uh, ha by Hamas. Um, so we took incubators and we are doing uh, everything possible to try to help and, and assist uh, in evacuating this hospital because we know that the brutal enemy that we're dealing with is 
hiding underneath and inside such structures. Our forces encountered, uh, encountered RPG fire from inside hospitals. Uh, so it's a very complex situation, as you can imagine. Tal, we're almost out of time, maybe about 20 seconds left. But I do want to ask you this. Uh, President Biden has said a deal to free hostages held by Hamas is going to happen. Uh, meantime, I do understand a 19-year-old IDF soldier who was being held by Hamas has been killed. What is being done to bring these hostages home? So we're exerting military pressure and diplomatic pressure in different channels to bring about the release of these hostages. Uh, we can't divulge any information about the nature of talks behind the scenes. We want to see all hostages back, and we want the international community to back us up in the demand to release them. We hope uh, that such efforts will be fruitful soon. All right, Tom, we're going to leave it right there. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Well, the House has avoided a government shutdown. Just a few minutes ago, they passed a two-tiered measure that will fund part of the government now and some later. For more, let's check in with Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales, who has the very latest. Eric. Well, good evening, Tracy. Yes, House Republican leadership did put the two-tiered funding bill to the floor, and it did pass with a lot of Democratic support. The vote was actually 336 to 95. Only 93 Republicans and two Democrats voted against it. It now moves off to the Senate, and if it does pass the Senate, then part of the government will be open until January 19th. But the Department of Defense and Homeland Security, they're going to be remain funded until February 2nd. It's the first big test for House Speaker Mike Johnson and his leadership team. The Senate has indicated so far that it supports Speaker Johnson's plan and hopes to vote on it this week. Tracy? Eric, switching gears, I understand Catholic pro-life activist Mark Houck and his wife have brought a lawsuit against the Biden administration's Justice Department and the FBI. What can you tell us about that? Well, Tracy, I did speak with Mark Houck by Zoom. He tells me that he is seeking $1.1 million in damages, while his wife, Ryan Marie, is seeking about $3 million in damages. The complaint states that she had numerous miscarriages due to stress and PTSD in the wake of the traumatic arrest of her husband. There's really no amount of money that could uh, repair the damage, but nonetheless, for the, for the good of the American people, this has to be done. The lawsuit alleges that the FBI's decision to arrest and prosecute Mark Houck, despite his offers to cooperate with their investigation, was malicious and violated his First Amendment rights. Clearly there was abuses here. Clearly there, there is an overreach, a weaponization of our government against its citizens. It is a police state. Last September, armed FBI agents showed up at Houck's home where he lives with his wife and seven children to arrest him. It came after he was accused of pushing an elderly Planned Parenthood escort outside a clinic in Philadelphia the year before. Houck was later acquitted of all charges. But the cost of the raid, he tells me, still lingers with his family. We all have PTSD. How could you not, right? With with M16 guns pointed at you, uh, as soon as you wake up as a little child, having that as your reality. You know, that's that's trauma beyond anyone's imagination for a little child. Houck tells me he and his wife have worked hard to raise their kids properly, and he claims the government took away their innocence. In an instant, they took that all away. They took all of the things that my wife and I have worked so hard to preserve in them, uh, they, they stole that from them in an instant by, by the decision, and it didn't have to happen. Since then, Houck has decided to run for U.S. Congress, taking on the current representative, Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania, a former FBI agent and U.S. attorney who has been in the House since 2017. 
You want more abortion, you vote for Brian Fitzpatrick. You want less abortion, you vote for Mark Haub. It couldn't be clearer. It is important to note that Hauk will likely face an uphill battle to beat Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick. The Pennsylvania district is considered purple, which President Biden won in 2020. Tracy. All right. Thank you so much for that, Eric. Well, since quarreling between Republican lawmakers has now become physical, Tennessee Congressman Tim Burchett says that he was elbowed in the back by former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy walked by me and uh, I guess he elbowed me in the... Um in the, in the kidneys as he walked by, and I fell forward, and the NPR lady said, I just, she goes, I can't believe that just happened. And uh, you don't plan to file anything or anything? Heck no. You know, in East Tennessee, we handle things man to man and not coming up behind somebody and hitting them in the back. Our Congressman Burchett was one of eight House Republicans who voted to oust McCarthy as Speaker. McCarthy denied the incident, saying, quote, I didn't shove or elbow him. It's a tight hallway. Congressman Matt Gates did not see the incident, but is filing a former ethics complaint against McCarthy. Oh, we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including honoring a peacemaker. Archbishop Paul Gallagher receives an award for his efforts to bring peace to Israel and Ukraine. And I still stand behind behind what I have said, and I would say the same things. After four years of police investigations, criminal indictments, prosecutions, and court hearings, a Finnish lawmaker is finally vindicated in what is being held as victories for free speech and religious freedom. in Finland unanimously dismissed three hate speech charges earlier today against lawmaker Pavi Rasanit. She was charged with agitation against a minority group in 2019 for sharing her Christian beliefs on marriage and sexual ethics on social media. Rasanit won her case in a lower court. Earlier this year, it was escalated to a higher court. And we're joined now by Pavi Rasanen and her legal counsel from Alliance Defending Freedom International, Lorcan Price. Welcome to you both and congratulations. Pivey, I want to start with you. This has been quite the journey for you. When that verdict was announced, what was your reaction? What went through your mind? This was a very happy moment. I, I'm deeply, and I was deeply relieved uh, about this ruling uh, because this has been so long processed. It, this has lasted already almost five years and included... Uh, several police interrogations, uh, criminal charges, uh, criminal trials in Helsinki District Court and, and the Court of Appeals, and also false claims about my statements. So I was so happy that the ruling today was very clear. It was unanimous uh, from three judges and uh, the ruling said that they didn't find any uh, crimes in my speeches and in my statements. So I'm happy. And I, I have been uh, celebrating this with my family, with my husband and, and children. And Lorcan, I want to go to you next. Um, talk to us about the significance of this ruling and what this means for free speech. Well, it's a very significant ruling, uh, Tracy, not just for Finland, but more widely across um, the Western world. This case was closely followed um, in a number of different countries 
And I think that reflects the importance of the fact that we're seeing an increasing trend, sadly, in Europe in particular, of the use of these so-called hate speech laws against Christians in public places. Um, Pivey was clearly a victim of that, uh, a totally unwarranted prosecution, uh, which we're delighted, obviously, that uh, she's been fully acquitted today. But across Europe, uh, in France, in Germany, and here in London, in the United Kingdom, where I'm calling from, uh, we see Christians consistently finding themselves at the receiving end of police investigations and criminal prosecutions. Uh, for sharing their faith in public, where the risk of somebody being, you know, quote-unquote, offended uh, comes up. And we believe that it's entirely wrong to use these type of laws against people for sharing their sincerely held beliefs in public. And sadly, Pivey was a victim of, I think, an ideologically motivated prosecution. And it was right today that um, she was fully acquitted. Uh, but as she said herself, she should never have been put through five years of a legal ordeal to come to this, this conclusion. And Pivey, I mean, as mentioned, you've been going through this for many years, lasting almost five years. Um, that said, knowing what you know now, would you still send out that tweet? Yes, I, I would. In fact, when this process started and I was uh, investigated and interrogated by the police, the police asked me every time that uh, would I in two weeks um, uh, uh, delete my my Twitter postings or take away my my writings. But uh, I, I, I said that I will stand behind these uh, teachings because uh, they are my deep conviction. It is not only an opinion, but uh, it is about uh, word of God. So it is, it is my deep belief, and, and I do not apologize, for example, what Apostle Paul has stated about marriage and sexuality in, in, in the Bible. So I, I still stand behind, behind what I have said, and I would say the same things. Well, thank you both for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Congratulations again, and God bless. Thank you so much. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, a gathering of church leaders report from Baltimore as the USCCB begins its public sessions with one notable bishop not taking part. Plus, I'm proud to announce that this year's March for Life theme. And stay tuned for a big announcement about the March for Life. public session of the U.S. Bishops Fall Assembly in Baltimore, Maryland. The Apostolic Nuncio addressed the church leaders praising their work on the Eucharistic revival. Perhaps we started out by looking at Eucharistic revival and synodality as two unrelated things. However, I would propose that these two realities belong together by their very nature and they shed light on one another. The bishops also voted on new chairman for several committees. The public sessions continue tomorrow. And we go now to Shannon Mullen, editor-in-chief for the National Catholic Register, who is in Baltimore covering the meeting. Shannon, great to be with you today. A lot to discuss here. Um, I understand there was a bit of a surprise, though, when the bishops voted on the new head for the pro-life committee. What can you tell us about that? And then what else stood out to you? Yes, it was a surprise. Uh, the... Uh, there were six new committee 
chairmen who were elected today, one of the one of the most high profile uh, committees is the Bishop's Pro-Life Committee. And in that uh, vote, uh, Bishop Daniel Thomas of Toledo, Ohio, uh, had a fairly easy victory over Archbishop um, Salvador uh, Corleone of San Francisco. Uh, Corleone, of course, is is very well known, uh, very prominent in the news in his um, uh, relations with uh, trying to um, bring uh, a, a pro-life change with Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House. So uh, that was one of the surprises today in the in the committee votes. Yeah, we also know uh, that Bishop Joseph Strickland uh, was recently relieved of his duties as a head of the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. Uh, we know he is in Baltimore, although not participating in the meetings. Um, curious, you know, what is he doing and has there been much reaction to the situation? Yes, you know, inside the hall, not much reaction. People not really, uh, the bishop's not really wanting to get into, wade into that controversy. Um, he is still, um, even though he's been removed from his duties at, in Tyler, Texas, he's still a U.S. bishop and he's still eligible to uh, come and participate in the bishop's fall assembly, um, although he would not be able to vote. He would have uh, emeritus status, as many of the bishops here do have, uh, but they don't vote. Um, he is present, though, so uh, he might not be inside, but he has been outside. We caught up to him today. He was leading a rosary, um, the recitation of the rosary outside the hotel where the bishops are having their meeting. And uh, there was about two or three dozen people around him. He gave CNA, Catholic News Agency, uh, a brief interview. Um, he said, well, I have, you know, was coming here anyway and uh, I wasn't going to go to the meeting. So I thought, thought I'd show up and pray. Um, but what he told us is that the uh, papal nuncio, that's Cardinal uh, Christophe Pierre, uh, who informed him of his removal, asked him not to participate um, in the assembly that's going on here. Uh, we haven't been able to confirm that with uh, the cardinal, uh, but that's what Strickland told us. All right, Shan, thanks so much for checking in with us. We appreciate it. Sure thing. Well, the Vatican's head of relations with states and international organizations has been given an award for his work promoting peace. Archbishop Paul Gallagher was especially praised for his work in Ukraine and Israel. EWTN Vatican News correspondent Colin Flynn has more. From the war in Ukraine to pushing for the elimination of nuclear weapons at the UN General Assembly, Archbishop Paul Gallagher is effectively the Vatican's foreign minister under Pope Francis. In Rome this week, an honor for the Vatican's Archbishop Paul Gallagher. He was presented with a special peace award for his efforts in trying to end war and conflict and bring about peace throughout the world. Nice to see you again, Prime Minister. After global leaders and influential political figures meet Pope Francis, Archbishop Gallagher holds private meetings with them, in many cases to lobby for the end to conflicts and offer ways the Catholic Church can assist in bringing about peace. Archbishop Gallagher, the Holy See. The awards ceremony was held in the stunning Campidoglio Square. And speaking after accepting the award, Archbishop Gallagher spoke about the Vatican's efforts in current wars in Ukraine and Israel. 
The essence of the work for peace consists not simply in governing processes, but rather in establishing a dialogue with those who each time represent the other. Even more, dare I say, it means creating the conditions so that the other does not appear as an opponent, but as an opposite. After receiving the award, he spoke to EWTN News. Well, obviously, I'm, I'm very honoured to receive this award, but I obviously received the award uh, on behalf of the Holy See, the Holy Father, and the work that the Holy See has been doing for so long uh, in this area, and which is... Uh, Often it's, it's, it's very modest, but we have to do something. We have to try in, this, in these terrible times that we're living in today. He also spoke about the barriers to obtaining peace in the world today. The problem is that we have to be able to talk to each other. We have to be able to talk to each other with sincerely. And the difficulty is that there is now a lot of pain in the world, a lot of anger in the world, and that doesn't make dialogue very easy. The event was organized by the Ducci Foundation, a cultural and interreligious organization promoting dialogue and understanding. Paolo Ducci is its founder. Monsignor Gallagher, in his position of responsible for the policy of the Vatican, you know, just in the world, of course, is playing a very big role and very essential, I would say very fundamental role, and I think it's doing very, very well. The event was attended by various ambassadors, showing their support for Archbishop Gallagher's efforts for peace, including the U.S. Ambassador to the Holy See, Joe Donnelly. We see our friends in Ukraine being attacked. Um, Hamas attacks Israel. You know, we, we uh, want to stand with Palestinian citizens as well. And to see Monsignor Gallagher um, receive this award, he's been an advocate for peace uh, his whole life. And so uh, it's something we wanted to honor him. Concluding his speech, Archbishop Gallagher said the Vatican's efforts for peace are needed today as much as ever. Lo spirito di giustizia è il seme della pace. Grazie a tutti. In Rome, Colm Flynn, EWTN News Nightly. And finally tonight, we are about two months away from the 2024 March for Life ad today. Organizers revealed its theme. I'm proud to announce that this year's March for Life theme will be pro-life with every woman for every child. Our theme was chosen because the pro-life movement walks alongside women before, during, and after their pregnancy. The March for Life is set to take place on January 19th, 2024 in the nation's capital. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook X and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.